0: Well, hey, Harvest, it's good to be back together wherever you're watching this living room, dining room, friend's house, small group uh, together. Uh, Just so glad that we can worship together again this morning through God's word. So uh, grab a Bible. First Peter chapter two is where we're headed. And as you turn to first Peter two, uh, let me just say this. Uh, Sometimes it's necessary, right, for the whole team to come together and be reminded who we are and what we're doing. Uh, Think about a coach on a sports team or even sometimes a player on a team will call a team meeting. And uh, the, the goal of the team meeting is to get all the team in one room and just basically remind and charge each other, here's who we are, and here's what we're doing or what we're going after. Uh, a, a, a band director, a, a choir director, we'll call the choir or the band, and they're not just talking to maybe the sopranos or the altos. They're talking to everyone, and they're saying, remember who we are. Remember what we're doing. Uh, company leaders, you do this. You grab the whole team and you say, here's who we are, here's what what we're doing. Here's where we're going. I, I bring that up today because in uh, this part of 1 Peter, uh, we get an awesome kind of team meeting. Peter's going to lead us through a team meeting. We're going to re- be reminded today as God's people who we are. And, and when I say we, I mean we. Like if there's ever been a Sunday since we've had to go online in the midst of all this, that I'm grieving not being able to have multiple people in the same room. It is this Sunday because this message is all about corporate application. Here's who we are as the people of God. And then the application out of that. Now, um, how do we live? What do we do? where are we going in light of that? And so today, uh, uh, today's message just uh, uh, clearly breaks down into these two parts. Who are we and what are we doing or what are we called to do? And so I want to pick it up here. First Peter chapter two, verse four. I want to read the whole section that we're going to be teaching through this morning. And then I just want to break it into its two parts. So if you would get in God's word with me, first Peter chapter two, verse four. And so I just want to take this section today and let's break it into its two parts. And so the first point of today's message, and this is a little bit wordy, but I didn't want to shrink any of this. I wanted to say all of this. And so uh, uh, bear with the wordiness. But point one is this. We are living stones connected to the cornerstone who make up the living temple of the living God. Let me say that again. We are living stones connected to the cornerstone who make up the living temple of the living God. Uh, uh, Before we get into just unpacking that, we got to understand Peter has just been telling us, uh, hey, individually, here's what the life of a Jesus follower looks like. We Uh, looked last week that we are to love one another with a sincere and earnest brotherly love uh, as we got into uh, the beginning of chapter two, right? A chance for us to check how we're doing memorizing God's word together. Chapter two began like this, so put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, and so Peter's been telling us we love, and we long for God's word, and now as we come to verse four, he is making a corporate statement, we who are we together? And you cannot miss uh, the powerful imagery in which Peter is pulling here to remind us as the church, as God's people, who we are. And the imagery here is the image of the temple. Uh, look back with me, if you were, will, at verse 4. Uh, as you come to him, who's this him? As you come to Jesus, and then he talks about Jesus in a certain way. He says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And so Jesus is the like capital L, capital S living stone. He is the cornerstone in which all of the foundation of the house of God is built on. But then he says, says, uh, in light of that, says something about us. You yourselves, verse five, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones built upon the living cornerstone, but building up the living temple of the living God. We are now together, corporately, we, I can't say we enough, are the temple of the living God. God. Now, if that doesn't like create the awe and the worship in your heart yet, we need to just kind of walk back through redemptive history and look at how God has always desired to dwell with his people, to look at the place of the temple in redemptive history. Right from the very beginning, we find man and woman created, we find them in a garden, and we find them in perfect harmony with a perfect God. God dwelling with his people, them walking with God in the cool of the day, and then sin enters the world, and that that relationship is fractured, and it's broken, and yet God has not Uh, stopped delighting and dwelling with his people we see with the tabernacle uh, when God's people the Israelites are are literally portable they are in the wilderness they're moving that you have this portable structure this tabernacle in which God's manifest presence would come down and dwell with his people him leading his people by day and by night and then you have the temple And inside of the temple, the Holy of Holies, the manifest presence of God, God dwelling with his people as personified in the temple. But then something better than the temple came. The word, Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us. God dwelt among his people in fleshly form. And then we know the story of Jesus crucified, buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and yet when Jesus ascended, God has not left us, but God dwells with us in an even greater way, the spirit of Christ now dwelling inside of us, God literally dwelling in us, and together we are these living stones, uh, interconnected, uh, Alive because the life of the cornerstone is flowing inside of us. Together working to build up this spiritual temple, this living temple of the living God. Peter wants these Gentile believers that he's writing to, to understand who you are and how special this is in light of redemptive history. And Peter, throughout this, it just continues to point back to Old Testament pastors. There's like six Old Testament quotations in here to tell them, do you know the place that the temple has had? You now are the temple of the living God. We together are the temple of the living God. And we have to see that in this team meeting, the beauty of who we are interconnected living stones together building up this living temple of the living God. Now um, I want us to feel kind of the bigness and the beauty of that Uh, I know sometimes we can come to, to passages of the Bible that are about corporate application, who we are together as the church and the people of God. And we can go, yeah, but like, what does that really mean for me? No, no, no. See the bigness of this. See the beauty of this. See the grandeur of the church of the living God by seeing how we as one living stone are interconnected with uh, uh, the other bodies of Christ, uh, the other people of Christ as living stones. See how we even as a church, this is bigger than a harvest thing. Think about the other churches on the south side and across Indianapolis and across our country, that we are one small part of this big and beautiful and grandiose thing that is the church. Uh, think about it like this. Um, one Lego isn't very impressive. But if you've ever been to like Legoland, or if you've ever been to a place that like these amazing designers have created these awesome Lego structures, you piece together all these little Lego blocks and, blocks and you make something big and beautiful and grandiose, It is awesome to look at one brick not very impressive you look at a magnificent structure of how some master builder has pieced brick to brick to brick to brick and built some magnificent building or structure and it is an awesome thing to behold one stone on its own nothing to look at stones placed together to build up a building beautiful to see as I was thinking about um, us as living stones, interconnected, building up together this beautiful thing called the temple of God. It brought to mind when Jesus, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's by the temple and um, the disciples is going, look at all of the, look at this, this is magnificent. And when we were in Jerusalem uh, six years ago and we were standing at Temple Mount, like you totally understood what the disciples were seeing. These massive rocks, one piled on top of each other, uh, building up this Temple Mount. It is impressive to look at. This is what we have here. My life, my little life, my fleeting life. My life that is like a vapor is part of like the most awesome corporate team that I could ever fathom in my life. I'm a living stone connected to you who are a living stone connected to the other people you're sitting with in your living room who are living stones, alive because of our connection to the cornerstone, and together building up the temple of the living God in which God is dwelling among us. That is remarkable, folks. We have to let that take its place of awe in our heart. Now, it's important to know, like, who is this? Who is this temple of, who are those who make up the temple of the living God and are the living stones? It's, it's those who have trusted Christ by faith. Uh, verse 6, for it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever, here it is, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor's for you who believe, but here's the reality for those who do not believe in this stone, this cornerstone, Jesus Christ. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That those who are the living stones making up the living temple in which God, the living God, is dwelling are those who have believed in Jesus Christ by faith. Have you believed in Jesus Christ by faith? Have you seen your need? Have you seen that your relationship with a holy God has been fractured because of your sin? Have you seen this great God who has loved you and who has stooped down to come rescue you by sending his son to the cross to pay the penalty to die for your sin and for my sin? That you would then believe in him that you would believe in his substitutionary death on your behalf and that you can have life if you will believe in the name of Jesus today. Today is the day to cry out in faith and to be one of these living stones building up this temple of God in which God is dwelling among us. Now, if you're like me, you know, in this first section, we're talking about who we are, who we are as the body of Christ, as the church, as the people of God, and you're like, okay, I get it. Like, I get the picture there. I'm the temple of God. I'm a living stone. But like, what does that really even look like more practically? Um, Peter gets more practical for us. Who are we? Verse 9. But you are a, a chosen race. Let's stop and think about that. Who's Peter writing to? He's writing to predominantly Gentile believers. I mean, that was, that's a statement you'd expect to find uh, written to Israelites, written to Jewish believers, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're a chosen race. They're God's chosen people. Like, think about how massive of a statement this is. Peter writing to Gentiles. Most of us watching this, we're Gentiles. And he says, you are a chosen race. Uh, you are a people Uh, blood bought by Jesus Christ, a chosen race of God, a chosen people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is massive. Uh, It gets better. You are a royal priesthood. And so the the language, right, of the temple and of the priesthood, only the priest could enter and offer the sacrifices to the Lord. And now we believe through Christ, the great high priest, we now have the priesthood of all believers. We are all offering these spiritual sacrifices up to God. And Peter says to these Gentile believers under distress, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people set apart to God, a people for his own possession. You are the Lord's. You are a living stone built off the cornerstone, building up the temple of the living God. You are God's. And that's a beautiful reality for us to sit and so, do you see this? Do you see who we are? Do you re, are you reminded today, or maybe if this is the Bible is new to you, or you're new in your walk with Jesus, do you see the beauty of who this says we are as God's people? I want you to think for a minute about maybe the most uh, like special group you've ever been a part of, something that you were honored to be invited to. Maybe it's a sports team that was super selective and you got selected to be on it. Maybe it was uh, some sort of music thing that they only took kind of the top and they took you in. Maybe it was some academic group that, man, it's just, it, it, it's a big deal to be a part of. Think about the thing that you're like, man, probably like one of the biggest accomplishments was being able to be part of that group, that club, that organization, that team, whatever it is. And now I want you to set that next to the reality of who we have just been told we are as God's people. Can that even compare? Does that even compare? Does any sort of like worldly accomplishment or group we are part of compare to the fact that we are living stones built off the cornerstone, building up this living temple of the living God in which God himself is dwelling in and among us? us, that we are a holy race, we're a royal priesthood, we're a nation set apart, we are gods. That is a great corporate reality to dwell in. So what does that mean? What do we do? How is that to affect how we live? We said a good team meeting does two things. It reminds us who we are and it reminds us what we're doing and where we're going. But before I turn to the second part of this message, go, okay, Like, what should that mean about how we live if we are this? Together we are this. Before we get there, I just wanna pause and I wanna right now very simply just ask you, where are you worshiping in light of these verses? Like what has ignited worship in your heart as you have realized this beautiful thing called the church, the people of God, that you are a part of what is making you worship right now over what we've seen in verses 4 through verses 9. I want you to stop and I want you to talk about it together right now. Okay, so a good team meeting does two things, right? It reminds us who we are, and sometimes we just need that reminder. And I pray that in the first part of this, we've been reminded. Living stones, making up this living temple of the living God. Together, we, uh, this is something big and beautiful and awesome, that God is working together corporately in his body. But what does that mean? What do we do? What are we doing And verse 9 and 10 help us understand this corporate call that we have and we can rejoice in together. Pick it up again, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, here it is, what are we to do? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Point two is this. What are we to do? Here's what we're to do. We are to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now, what does that look like? Uh, The first thing I would say about uh, this is um, we will only proclaim his excellencies if we see him as excellent. Right, that seems a bit obvious, but I think that's really important for us to understand. We will only proclaim his excellencies if we see his excellence. Uh, Think about any type of thing that you talk about, uh, that you see as excellent, as, as the standard of something, as something that is awesome. We talk about these things. We praise their excellence. When you go to a great restaurant and have a great meal, you praise its excellence when you tell other people about it. When you walk out of a movie that was moving and did something and you talk to other people about it, you proclaim its excellencies. When you read a great book, when you see a beautiful view, you proclaim its excellencies. We as people, who it says, have been called out of darkness. We have been taken out of the darkness by the power of Jesus Christ. We now see the light. We see how we've been rescued. We see the beauty of who he is and this big and awesome God. We can't help proclaim the excellencies of our God. God. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For the heart who has truly experienced that, you cannot help be on this team as a living stone and not be shouting, proclaiming the excellencies of this God. But I know it helps me to think about, like, how do we get maybe a little bit more specific? What does it really mean to live a life proclaiming the excellencies of God? I think all of us watching this, want yeah, yeah, I, I want to proclaim the excellencies of God. How do I do this? And um, I just kind of want to run down our list right now. How do we live a life proclaiming the excellencies of God? A couple of uh, caveats on this. This is not an uh, exhaustive list by any means. You could add to this list. You could keep going for uh, hours on adding to this list. But I hope this kind of primes the pump of our mind to get us thinking about how do we practically live lives proclaiming the excellencies of God. And so we proclaim his excellencies in these things. The first one I'll mention is this, is in our quiet seeking of him. We proclaim his excellency in our quiet seeking of him. That's probably not the first thing you expected me to list there. When you think about proclaiming excellency, you think about talking, shouting loud. There's something, though, that proclaims the excellency of God and him being the treasure we just want to go be with, meditate on, and spend time quietly in. Think about the people in your life you are satisfied to just sit in a room and be quiet with. Aren't they some of the most beloved, treasured people in your life? And for other people to look on and go, man, why does that person just love to get away and be with God? Because he's the treasure of our life. We're proclaiming his excellency in our quiet seeking of him. The second thing I'd list is this, the kind of the opposite of quiet. We proclaim his excellency in our passionate worship of him our passionate worship and singing of our praises, our passionate worship and how we just go through our life, uh, our mouth worshiping him, lifting our praise before him in our day-to-day life. We proclaim his excellency in our passionate worship. Uh, Thirdly, we proclaim his excellency in our gospel sharing for him. The gospel message The good news of what Jesus has done to come and to reconcile and remedy us from our sinful place of being separated from God to uh, a right standing with God through his sacrifice and on behalf. Is there any greater way we can proclaim the excellencies of God than by sharing this good news with everyone that we come into contact with? This is one of the greatest ways we proclaim his excellency by sharing the good news. Uh, The fourth one I'll list, and I just kind of want to spend a moment here, um, and you'll know why in a minute. Um, The fourth one is this, our our joyful obedience to him. Uh, Nothing speaks to the power of God. Nothing speaks to our love for God. Nothing shows that he is more excellent than by our joyful desire to follow him in obedience. To not just have a faith that is all about talk and rhetoric, but to actually follow. To actually follow after this Jesus. To actually obey his teaching. This proclaims his excellency to the world. This tells the world that we believe that the way of God, that God himself, is greater than anything else, and we're willing to shun everything else and to just follow what he says to do. We proclaim his excellency and our joyful obedience. Um, fifth, and this is really important. We proclaim his excellency in our pursuit of justice. Our pursuit of justice in him. And, and I, I put our pursuit of justice in him very intentionally. We have a God who is just. Scripture tells us, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. When we we pursue justice, we are pursuing the lifting up of the excellencies of our God. I think this is a really important point in light of uh, what you no doubt, if you've seen the news headlines have seen over the last week, uh, the Ahmad Arbery shooting in Georgia. Just kind of speak transparently for a moment. I was in my house last week, and it was the evening, and the kids were down in bed, and I had sat down. And I was scrolling through headlines, and I stopped on the headline of the Ahmad Arbery shooting. I watched the video myself, and as I watched the video, I had a physical, visceral reaction. I wanted to vomit. And I'll just confess to you, for too long in my life I have read headlines like this of just flat-out racial injustice in our country. And I've shaken my head, and I've disagreed, and I've been sad and grieved about it, but then I've scrolled to the next headline. I watched this video this week, and I got done, and I looked at Erica, and I said, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? As followers of Jesus, who believe that every single person is made in the image of God. What are we going to do about this? It's, it, it's not okay to just shake our head in sadness and to scroll to the next headline when there's injustice all around us, injustice in all kinds of ways, but we see over and over again this injustice, this racial injustice, this flat-out racism or prejudice or racial injustice in any way. When we, as followers of Christ, seek to do justice in these areas. We're proclaiming his excellencies. And you might be going, okay, pastor, what are we going to do? And I want you to know as pastors, we spent a lot of time this week talking about that. We're prayerful of going, what is the response of the believer in times like this and in situations like what we're seeing in the Ahmaud Arbery shooting? What are we going to do? And we're very prayerfully seeking that. But I tell you, you go look, you go ask, what are we going to do? You tell us, here's what I think we could do. Here's what I think we should do. We're listening. And the first thing I would tell you to do is Pastor Brian and Pastor Corey had a great conversation about everything related uh, to this and to the topic of uh, racial injustice. And the Christian's response to that on the Tuesday 30 this past week on Facebook, you need to go back, you need to watch that great conversation that they had uh, as a starting point. But, but when you, we come here and we say that the, the excellencies, we proclaim the excellencies when we pursue justice in Him, because He is a just God. I just want to implore us to think very, very critically about these things, but to not just think about it, to to act, to do justice, to show here's how the gospel applies in that situation. We proclaim His excellencies, the sixth thing is this, in our gracious speaking for Him. Words that are seasoned, words that are dripping in grace. The living stone who's part of this living temple of the living God speaks differently than other people. We react with our words differently. I'm convicted as I say this. In our gracious speaking, the uh, seventh thing I'll list is this. We proclaim his excellency in our loving sacrifice for him. Uh, we, when we sacrifice and love to serve other people, to serve our spouse, to serve our kids, kids to serve your parents, if you're li- roommates serving their roommates, when we sacrifice to serve others, Motivated by the love of Christ in us, we're proclaiming his excellency. um, uh, Eighth, uh, we proclaim his excellence in our unshakable unity in him. There should be no quote-unquote organization out there that is tighter than the church of the living God. And God is grieved when that temple is not unified. And you and I both know this, how grieved we have been at times when we see some tiny little matter coming away and, and fracture and, 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 and insert all of this disunity in the body of Christ. We proclaim his excellency in our great unity and love together and the last one i list and you could expand on this list we proclaim his excellency in our vocational work for him when people look and say oh that that guy right there that girl right there they're they're working for someone bigger than just the boss in the office they're working for someone bigger than just the foreman on the job site When people see that and sense that in us is, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, we are proclaiming the excellency of Christ. And so when someone comes up to you on the job site and says, what are you doing? What are you working on? You say, I'm proclaiming the excellency of God. And they'll say, I have no idea what you just said. And that's okay. But we can proclaim his excellence in this. And so I want us to get this, that every single day we get up, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you're with your family, when you are uh, living with your roommate, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, what are we called to do? We're called to proclaim his excellency. To live a life in word Indeed, that puts the spotlight on him and just says, look at how awesome and excellent he is. This is the simple reality of what we are called to, you, to do. So I want you to talk about this, and I want you to get very specific. What does it look like this week for you to proclaim the excellencies of God in your life? No, I, I don't want you to just be okay with some generality. Uh, I proclaim the excellencies of God this week by like reading my Bible. That is true. That is so true. But I want you to get very specific. How this week do you, can you proclaim his excellency in a very specific way? Finish this statement. I will proclaim the excellencies of God this week in what? How does the current season we're living in allow you to proclaim the excellencies of God as one of the living stones of his living temple in a very unique way, but this is what we're called to do. It's so clear to all of us. When you get up tomorrow, what's the goal of my day? To proclaim the excellencies of God. When you stop this video and you're having lunch as a family, you are having lunch to proclaim the excellencies of God. How this would shape the way that we talk, the way that we live, and so talk about it right now. How this week will you do that? We are living stones of the living temple built on the living cornerstone to proclaim the excellencies of our living God. My prayer for us, church, is that we would worship God for the reality of who we are and that we would work and witness this week from this reality of what he has called us to do because of it. Harvest, you are loved and you are sent. I pray you have a great week.